Gangary the Podcast is made possible by the Ashland University Journalism and Digital Media Department. As Ohio's only converged media program, Ashland JDM is training tomorrow's journalists and media creators for media careers in the 21st century. For more information, visit Ashland University's Journalism and Digital Media Department online at ashland.edu slash JDM. Or head to the JDM blog at ashlandmedia.blogspot.com. Welcome to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. Today we have a Gangry Podcast first. I'm going to be interviewing two people at once. I'm talking to Kalen Ralph and Yana Dimkovich. They are two University of Missouri J School grads who started the Riveter magazine. If you haven't heard of the Riveter, it's a magazine that is written solely by women. Ralph and Dimkovich started the magazine a couple years ago after the National Magazine Award nominee list did not include any female writers. The Riveter just recently put out its fourth issue. On top of The Riveter, Ralph and Demkovich have worked with Mike Sager, who we featured in episode 19 of the podcast, and Joyce Hoffman on the book Newswomen, 25 Years of Front Page Journalism. The book includes stories by female newspaper reporters like Lane DeGregory, featured in our most recent episode, Ann Hall, Andrea Elliott, and Amy Harmon, among many, many others. Along with each story is an interview with each reporter about how they got their start in journalism. Those interviews were conducted by Ralph and Demkovich. That book was published by the Sager Group. We've linked to the Riveter and the Sager Group's page for Newswomen, along with many other things, on our website. You can find that at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Kaylin and Yana, welcome to Gangry the Podcast. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Uh, I'm I'm really excited. This is the first time that um, I've had two guests on the podcast at the same time. And I also think you're probably the youngest podcast guest I've had on since I started this uh, back in 2012 or, or whenever that was that I, that I did that first episode with Justin Heckert. Um, so thanks That's for joining awesome. me. I appreciate it. Cool. It'll um, be a party. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, let's start off by talking about uh, Newswomen, 25 Years of Front Page Journalism. Uh, it's a book that was just put out by the Sager Group. Uh, it was edited by Joyce Hoffman, and I know both of you played uh, a pretty significant role in that book. Um, can can you talk a little bit about the book and, and what your role was? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a little context into why we wanted to compile this anthology in the first place. Um, uh, we, In short, we basically just wanted to show that women have been kicking ass in journalism, in print journalism specifically, of course, um, for a very long time. Uh, the issue that we found before this uh, anthology came into existence is that a lot of the time when we talk about the history of journalism or we talk about uh, who's been doing work for a long time and what that work has been, et cetera. Um, a lot of the examples or a lot of the people we talk about happen to be men. Um, so the question there was, uh, where are these women? Were they there? The answer, of course, was yes. They were there. They were working just as hard, probably even harder, in fact, um, to write a variety of different types of stories for different types of outlets, um, uh, covering different types of topics. So, um, Kaylin and I are 
our role was to curate and research a list in the first place. And of course, we found a lot more women than we can include in an anthology. So um, uh, hopefully it's kosher for me to say this, but I welcome another similar anthology to be published <laughs> featuring all the other women we couldn't include. Um, and uh, we basically just wanted to feature women covering a variety of different topics, like I mentioned before, um, uh, and women who had won a variety of different awards, et cetera. And the idea here is to give them a platform, to give them a space to exist mm -hmm. um, in a physical way. So that's what the anthology is um, in essence. How did yeah, you, oh, and, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'll go ahead. Um, we were, um, the actual genesis of when this whole book project idea even started, we were still at the University of Missouri, which is our alma mater um, in our senior year, both in the journalism school. And Mike Sager of the Sager Group, who is the publisher of the book, as you already said, um, he was on campus with a panel of writers he had just published in his last anthology, his last journalism anthology of this kind, um, it was called Next Wave, America's Next Generation of Great Literary Journalists. And it certainly was an impressive anthology. It was also overwhelmingly male-dominated, um, like almost 100%. There were maybe three women in the anthology. Mm -hmm. And at the day, throughout the day of programming, um, for this conference that our journalism school was hosting for the book, that was definitely something that people were taking notice of. And for Yana and I, who at the time we were both um, taking a both personal and professional kind of avid interest in the issue of magazinealism and gender, um, we were really excited about the opportunity to talk with Mike that day after the conference and. Um, you know, I might be romanticizing the arc of our own story and our own relationship, but I feel like it was that first day where probably this, you know, the seed of what became this book mm -hmm. was first planted mm -hmm. in our conversation with him. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, Next Wave. Uh, I used it as, as the main textbook in my narrative journalism class that I taught mm -hmm. in the fall of 2014. Uh, and and I what I arranged for uh, four, 15 different people in the in the book to Skype in um, to my class, uh, but it was mostly men. And I actually ended up going outside the book to find a couple female reporters um, who mm -hmm. could Skype in. Um, but even then, I felt like I was doing a disservice um, uh, because I just I didn't know I didn't know. Um, uh, as many female journalists as I did male journalists. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, it was, it was, it was, I, re I remember it being an eye opening for me as well. Uh, just with that book. Um, so uh, can, can you talk a little bit about, um, so you, so you, th this is kind of how you got involved with, with Mike Sager and the Sager group uh, then, right? Uh, by this, this one um, conference at, at Missouri. Yeah, we basically approached him, um, as Kaylin said earlier, and uh, and also as she said earlier, the general feeling of 
by the way, the mostly uh, women in attendance to this conference, mm -hmm. was that the question was circulated and it actually was posed directly to Mike, like, hey, dude, where are all the women? <laughs> um, and I respect Mike a lot because he didn't come back to us with a a completely like condescending response like well here is where they are his response was more productive and like well you know let's do something about it essentially mm -hmm. let's do something about the lack of the visibility of women here um and yeah. so that is how we were introduced to mike um uh and kaylin and i literally approached him at the end um and just told him hey you know what we are going to do something about it um this 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 conversation that seems a little heated, uh, a little uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, definitely heated <laughs> was certainly for sure heated. Yeah, the room was like, what the hell is going on here? Um, <laughs> again, that's really why I respect Mike because he completely took it and was like, let's roll with it, let's move with it. Right. Um, and so we approached him. Um, you know, I think maybe we'll talk about this later, but actually on that same day, uh, Caitlin and I founded The Riveter, which is a uh, online and print magazine that uh, prints long form journalism mm -hmm. written by women based on uh, gender disparities within the industry at large. Um, and after we published our very modest and humble website at the time, um, literally just went to a coffee shop and bought the domain name, like WordPress site that day. Mm -hmm. um, we were like, hey, Mike, what's up? It's us. We did <laughs> What do you now? Yeah. And uh, he was like, hey, what about helping me out with these really cool anthologies? Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Did he. Uh, and I think. Yeah, go ahead. Just um, what Yana was saying, he was really honest that day about the fact that, you know, he and his research assistants had really. It wasn't like he didn't realize there wasn't mm -hmm. a fair representation of female writers in the anthology. He also, you know, was like, okay, we tried to find them. And he kind of came clean about that, that he was really struggling to. So with the Riveter, that was kind of, I guess, our first step toward a solution. You know, like, okay, well, if you can't find them, it means they're not being published in these same magazines where you're able to find the men you're sourcing for your book. So we'll just start something that can act as a platform and then you know the next time you want to make a book we'll have a ton of writers for you to pull mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. so uh, so um when when did the work start on on the book um oh. newswomen was it pretty close to to, to that that day we had, um if i can like riff a little bit okay we had moved to minneapolis at that point yeah he he was on board for the project but then we did move from Missouri to Minneapolis and we were kind of getting settled here. Right. So when did we start having our weekly Skypes with him? It was a few months after we, or a couple months after we graduated yeah. uh, university, therefore essentially a few months after the Riveter launched. Yeah, I want to say like the fall um, and early winter of 2013 and yeah, um, fourteen mm -hmm. is when we really started digging into um, getting in contact with these women and scheduling our interviews with them so we could write the forewords. Um, so it 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 definitely um, 
was a was a long you know the actually seeing it published and in print last fall was a huge 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 accomplishment for us Mm -hmm. I still I still sometimes like see it's my desk and I'm like wait what (laughs) like that's (laughs) that's a real book sitting on my desk right now right how how did you go about um identifying the reporters that you wanted to include uh in the book that was a really collaborative experience um or process uh just based on research that Kaylin and I conducted and then um research that Joyce worked on and Mike as well so it really was collaborative in that sense in that we all had a say in who we really thought should be included um and then of course from his publisher's standpoint that's where kind of the real curation um came uh in terms of how many exact how many stories exactly are we going to include who are we going to include and how are we going to make sure that uh it's diverse storytelling it's not just one note one type of story etc etc so um yeah uh any art was is there anybody who wasn't in that you really wanted to get in and that maybe you're saving (laughs) back for for another anthology like that's have, probably an unfair I like we question. Have to keep those right. <laughs> bits of information yeah. far up our sleeves right. at this point. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, when uh, is this? Uh, as I was as as I was looking through the book, um, I was struck. This is mostly newspaper reporters. Is that is that accurate, or are there yes. some magazine stuff? Uh, was that a conscious, obviously a, a conscious decision to focus solely on? Uh, newspaper reporters rather than uh, delving into the world of magazines as well? Yes, because um, our future anthologies will include magazine writing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to give newspapers the space and the room to breathe um, because they're often not, I mean, if I can just be blunt or candid or whatever, I feel like when we talk about newspaper writing, we think that it's more dry or Mm -hmm. less interesting or less... Mm -hmm. um, creative as magazine writing. And I really don't think that's always the case. Um, yeah. So, uh, the newspaper writing, that was definitely a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm looking yeah. at some of the, some of the, the reporters who are in here and, and obviously I recognize some of the names, um, like Landa Gregory, who was, uh, just on the podcast in the last episode. Um, and, uh, Ann Hall and, and, and Andrea Elliott and, and obviously, when you look at these reporters, you could literally find dozens of stories uh, that you could have included from them. How how did you actually decide which story then of theirs to, to choose? Um, I would say, uh, I mean, Mike is one of the most like well-read people I think probably both of us know. And he has the um, great you know, I'm sure he, I, I, I'm sure I can say this cause I'm sure he would say the same, like the honor of actually having worked with many of these women. So he definitely, um, kind of led those decisions and mm-hmm. also from a practical level, um, reprinting, right. you know, there's certain things you can read and there's certain things that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think his kind of, uh, experience in the field and being able to call many of these women, his contemporaries or mentors of his own when he was um, starting out in reporting um, kind of gave him the larger context to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. I don't know. 
Yeah, totally. I totally agree. I, I think uh, another big part of it was um, featuring stories that specifically had been uh, awarded some type of award mm -hmm. um, because, and actually maybe to backtrack or back forward or, or however you'd like to put it, another <laughs> uh, catalyst uh, for firing Kaylin and I up about um, the representation of women in journalism in general was based on uh, the lack of uh, female nominees mm -hmm. in the ASMEs for the 2012 ASMEs specifically. Um, and so the ASMEs are obviously a very distinguished um, award. And if women are not receiving these awards, then they're not accessing certain types of audiences. Right. Um, so... In, a, in another sense, I think what Mike was thinking, um, and not the main not the main takeaway or the main point, um, because of course stories that don't win awards or don't have the privilege to be submitted to an award in the first place, of course those stories are valid and mm -hmm. awesome and and worthy in their own way. Um, but showing that these women not only have been kicking ass but but have been taking home really prestigious mm -hmm. awards as well, I think was uh, another facet mm -hmm. of the curation at large. Yeah, you mentioned the year the um, the, the ASME Awards completely shut out uh, all female writers. That was about the time when you had that that conference in Missouri. Now, am, am I correct on that, or or am yeah. I off? Yeah, it was like a perfect shitstorm of circumstances <laughs> that combined to be to fire up two very. Um, passionate and kind of, we had endless energy and mm -hmm. we were like, okay, we are just going to fix this. Like here's step one. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, but it definitely, the fact that they all kind of piling on at once while we were in journal school and contemplating this professional landscape that simply didn't reflect our gender. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that it all happened close together on a timeline definitely played a huge factor. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so for this book, um, you, you collected uh, these amazing stories by these amazing female reporters uh, and, and obviously uh, compiled them in this anthology. But then there's also, at, at the end of each story, there is a, an As Told To, um, which uh, is what you, you interviewed these reporters uh, and then wrote up uh, essentially the, the the results of that interview into an told to type uh, uh, short piece uh, where they talk a lot of times about um, how they became reporters and that type of thing. Can you can, what was that like to interview all of these amazing journalists? Oh my gosh, that was an incredible incredible opportunity I think for the both of us um, uh, to be able to speak to them so candidly and so intimately, um, not only about their specific stories that we were including and what types of process, uh, writing processes, reporting processes they went through in order to um, create such marvelous storytelling. Um, but also just about what it was like to be a journalist um, when they were our age, what it was like, of course, to be a woman in a field that didn't uh, uh, always appreciate um, their their work in the same way as their male counterparts um that was really exciting i think just in general in media there's there's always always has been and probably always will be this constant conversation about how there's a generation divide between women or just a generation divide in general um and what differences 
there are between generations, et cetera, et cetera. But it felt like a really exciting way to connect and um, to be able to include that in the anthology, I think is really special. It, you're not just flipping through and just reading story after story, which would be cool mm -hmm. in its own right, way and right. still is great if you'd like to skip over those as told two parts. Um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> um, I don't think that you should because I think it gives a lot of context and insight into, um, and, and actually to kind of trail off a teeny bit, my favorite part about those as told to sections is that um, there are similarities in their stories because we did approach them with very generic questions on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we wanted to ask them all the same core questions and then maybe ask a couple story specific ones. Mm -hmm. um, so again, there are some similarities, but there are vast differences as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that helps show that uh, a woman's experience in general is not so one dimensional. Um, so yeah, How yeah I could go on and on about that. I love talking. I love talking to them. It was it was a cool experience. How yeah. was it? How was it for you, Kaylin? Yeah, I mean everything Yana said, retweet all the above. Um, <laughs> but I also think that just with the timing of when we were doing the bulk of the research for the book, um, we were in between our very first issue of the Riveter and you know what the Riveter could be. Mm -hmm. We put out the first, I know we'll get to the Riveter, but we put out the first issue and then we kind of, we had almost a full year before we put out the second one. And in between that time, we were doing a lot of the research. So I think, um, and I, I think I can speak for both of us um, during what was a kind of trying time with, you know, developing our own publication, which we had these really high hopes for, um, these interviews were something I definitely looked forward to mm -hmm. and they kind of kept me motivated and enthusiastic and because they were women who were, because all the women in the book are so established in their careers, it was this very cool kind of full circle, mm -hmm. um, thing <laughs> for, for lack of a better word. It was, it was totally awesome and it definitely inspired us to keep going with the Riveter, I think. Mm -hmm. How did, how did these women feel like when they were contacted and told, we want to include you in this book? Uh, we want to talk to you about your experiences. Uh, what, what was their reaction a lot of times? I think they were very happy, very surprised, very honored, um, uh, very excited. Um, but also honestly, very kind of surprised. Um, mm -hmm. I think many of them, and I'm generalizing here, worked during a time where, um, the, the conversations about being a woman in the newsroom in general just weren't even on the table. Mm -hmm. And we were asking them these very specific questions. And uh, at least for the, of course, Kaylin and I divided and conquered. So mm -hmm. um, each speak to every single woman. But for the women uh, whom I spoke with, uh, quite a few of them, you know, were kind of even surprised by that question in that um, when they're reflecting upon what their answer is, it's kind of like they had to go through this whole process of remembering that at the time that they were my age in the newsroom, mm -hmm. if that question had been asked, you know, it, it wouldn't have even been addressed mm -hmm. or addressed with the same vigor, essentially. Um, so that's why some of the conversations did feel very frank or 
intimate in the sense that these weren't questions that were being asked before. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, of course. <laughs> um, but that I guess that's why I, I say that some of them felt surprised in that sense. Um, but of course, generally very happy, excited, honored. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was there, in the interviews, was there one kind of theme? You mentioned that there were some similarities. Was there, was there anything that really, you know, that you can really pinpoint was, was almost universal among, among the women you talked to? Something I noticed with the group that I spoke with, um, is that, and it it directly relates to what Yana was saying. Um, I think that all of them were so busy just hustling at the time they were doing the work, which we are now featuring in the anthology, that they didn't, you know, they weren't living at a time when this conversation was happening. Yes, but they also, you know, are similar to modern day women in that they were just hustling, hustling, hustling to get those stories. Um, one of the women I spoke to, Athelia Knight, when she got her first job at the Washington Post, she told me she just she told herself she's like, okay, you like you're gonna get a story in the paper every day, and she did, you mm-hmm. know. But that's what dominated their attention and energy at the time. Mm-hmm. So I think just to give them the opportunity to reflect. Um, led to really great conversation. Um. Yeah. I think something, and to kind of like piggy, uh, piggyback a little bit, something that um, I found interesting and is just kind of a general comment, I suppose, is that it, it became very clear to me, speaking to these women, um, how often, in a way, our society and culture asks women to decide what kind of life they want at a very young age. And by that, I mean getting married or having children or establishing a certain types of routines. Um, when I talked to Lane de Gregory, um, she was very candid about her family life and mm-hmm. um, the fact that she has a quote unquote a drummer husband who can keep very um, flexible hours, therefore, could take care of their children when mm-hmm. she got called out last minute to a story or when she had to travel for a story, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, she was honest that she was in a, a unique situation um, and also uh, talked a little bit about how, um, in her experience anyway, reaching a certain age meant being invited to become an editor mm-hmm. because there was this sense that you would have more stable hours. Um, if you were just an editor, you could go home at five o'clock or six o'clock, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, she said, no, I want to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Like I'm finally getting my footing. Um, I'm finally making connections into getting really interesting, uh, and unique stories. Like, no, I like, let me be a writer. Let me continue mm-hmm. to, um, be creative in that sense and to flex my writer and reporter muscles. Um, but you know, from her perspective, it was something that she only noticed uh, generally was uh, presented to women at a certain time and a certain age. So I, I might be rambling a, t- a tiny bit, but it, it kind of made me think, um, you know, she wasn't the only one of the women I talked to who brought up mm-hmm. family, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, and it just made me think just generally how often, you know, women are asked to kind of consider like, Oh, do you want to have kids? Do you, do you want to get married? Because that means a, B and C. Mm-hmm. And, if you're going to be a reporter, if you're going to be in journalism, um, there is a lot of flexibility that is 
necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know, just kind of things like that that came up were really, really insightful for me. Uh, You know, and you mentioned earlier that we're might be the youngest um, (laughs) uh, interviewees that you've had on your show. Um, So uh, I I am, I'm 25, Kaylin, you're 25. Um, It was just interesting to hear, um, especially when those questions are honestly already being thrown my way as Mm -hmm. well. Oh, wow. Um, Wow. Well, I'm, I'm glad Lane decided she was going to be a reporter. Um, (laughs) And I hope, uh, that the, a lot of other uh, of these really great female reporters make those same decisions because there's so many great stories out there. Um, we're going to take a short break. Uh, we'll be back uh, with more from uh, Kaylin Ralph and Yana Demkovich in uh, just a minute. This is Gangra the Podcast. Ashland University's Journalism and Digital Media Department is the only fully converged and integrated media program in Ohio. JDM majors apply converged skills in practical, hands-on labs using state-of-the-art hardware and software content creation tools. And they do it all alongside award-winning faculty who double as industry professionals. Recently chosen as Ohio's best non-daily student newspaper, the Collegian covers our campus and beyond. Ashland's 3,000-watt radio station, 88.9 WRDL, broadcasts local news, sports, talk, and today's best music to mid-Ohio and to the world on WRDLFM.com. Meanwhile, AUTV20 brings campus news, sports, and events to life in more than 12,000 homes. Ashland University's Journalism and Digital Media Department, creating converged digital media professionals for the 21st century. Find more information and apply today at ashland.edu slash JDM. Welcome back to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. I'm talking with Kaylin Ralph and Jana Demkovich. Uh, they are the founders of The Riveter magazine, uh, which publishes work by female writers and reporters. And they also collaborated uh, with the Sager Group on the book News Women, 25 Years of Front Page Journalism. Uh Kaylin and Yana, can you talk about the Riveter? Uh, we've talked a little bit about how how it got started. Uh, can you can you talk about the magazine and and, and what um, and, and what you're doing with it? For sure, um, it's exciting to be talking to you, especially at this point um, as we have our fourth issue coming out um, this month. So um, it's been a really busy and exciting time for us with um our new quarterly model um we print in we print quarterly now um and we also have a website Mm -hmm. um with complimentary content uh, with content that complements the print edition Mm -hmm. i should say but officially we're we are a long-form women's lifestyle magazine um and you know, we started the magazine because we wanted to create a platform for women to write, report and write and publish long form journalism. Um, the way that we kind of deliver that long form has definitely evolved. And that's been a really exciting part of our evolution. But um, the idea of supporting female long form journalists is definitely still our core mission. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, uh, it goes back to our origin story, which we've already talked about a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, But 
the idea, of course, is to um, uh, provide a platform for women to publish their work, no matter how um, established they are in the industry. So we have published very young writers who their first long-form piece was with us, um, you know, to the spectrum of publishing very well-established writers um, who felt that our platform was um, the ideal platform for a certain type of story, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea here is that, uh, well, to piggyback off of that a little bit and our, the stories that we specifically publish, um, people often ask us, like, oh, is there a theme? Like, what's the theme of your issue? What are the theme of your stories, et cetera? Um, we really just want to publish stories that are dynamic and thoughtful um, to essentially prove that women want more from their media. Mm-hmm. Um, we want more than just beauty, health, and sex. Although, that being said, we want to talk about beauty, health, and sex, but in a really productive and interesting mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's this idea of women's media. It's kind of off in the pink ghetto and in, in, in our own corner. It's a niche uh, facet of journalism at large and our purpose and <laughs> part of our mission is that um, we're not an other, we're not a niche. Mm-hmm. Um, we're part, part of the conversation and so we hope that our stories in terms of content and themes and the way that stories are reported and approached. Mm-hmm. So so what does a typical um, issue look like? Um, I'm assuming it's a mixture of long form in front of the book and that type of stuff. Uh, is that is that accurate? Yes, it is. Totally. And um, yeah, we oh, go, go, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yes. I was just going to say, um, <laughs> you're totally right. There's there's uh, you know, we have the meat of our magazine, which is the long form. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to uh, text long form, we offer photo essay um, along with text to accompany that photo essay. And then front, we always offer book coverage, um, columns, personal essays, music coverage, um, et cetera, et cetera. Oh. You, uh, I, I think you mentioned a little bit earlier that um, between the first issue and the second issue, it took you uh, uh, it took you about a year to get that second issue out. Um, can, can you talk about how, how the magazine has evolved from that first issue and, and what you've learned uh, and maybe how how have you gotten better at uh, putting this thing together? Um, yeah, I mean, the first issue we put out very shortly after we decided we not shortly, but in the grand scheme of like the of publishing timeline, it was pretty quick. Um, we quickly crowdfunded two thousand dollars mostly from our friends and family using Indiegogo, which was amazing and pretty much made us feel unstoppable. And we were like, okay, we're putting out this magazine. We're moving to Minneapolis. Um, And it is, you know, I, I keep a copy of issue one on my desk because you look at it and it is like the most pure distillation of what has become a very um, ambitious and, um, multifaceted mission. It's literally like four pieces of long form journalism Mm -hmm. with, uh, (laughs) a few book reviews. I think Yana wrote a book review. I wrote a book review. Um, and then four pieces of long form. And to me, that's so cool because we said, we're going to start a long form women's magazine. And that's exactly what issue one is. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then it was received really well, and that made us really excited. And I think we kind of took the time to both get settled in Minneapolis and also think about how we could make it even better um, and kind of start adding in these other layers of, um, you know, changes we wanted to see happening in women's media. How could we implement them in our own publication? Um, So that took a little time. (laughs) yeah and uh we had a second crowdfunding uh initiative when we realized that two thousand dollars uh what uh at the time of like caitlin said we were like like yes like Like, that was so much money (laughs) um but you know that being said i have to give us credit because we didn't blow it we actually still have that money, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, we just kind of learned very quickly that in order to build uh, a platform with legs, uh, you need money. You need mm-hmm. a little bit more money than that. Um, so uh, we've grown up and uh, the magazine has grown up. And if you do put the print issues side by side, uh, you'll notice that. Mm-hmm. But you'll notice with our past three issues, um, uh, and I'm including issue four, which comes out this month, in that mix that we have landed on an aesthetic and a curation that we feel is really productive toward our mission. Um, But also knowing that we have a better handle on what branding is like um, and how to get people uh, excited about a magazine when they don't think that they want to be excited about a magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, That's been the challenge. And that's been the really exciting thing to me that I think we've learned because like Kaylin said in the beginning with issue one, we had a lot of support. Um, we were still in, at Mizzou at the journalism school. So we had a lot of people excited about the project. Mm-hmm. And we had our friends and family who were totally on board. And then, of course, the challenge came with making that sustainable and making other people who uh, you know, might not expect to be interested in women's media mm-hmm. excited about what we were doing. Uh, in many ways, uh, you were doing media entrepreneurship as students. Um even back before most schools started talking about that, was that ever anything that was discussed at Mizzou? And and are you doing anything close to what you thought you would be doing when you first enrolled as an undergrad at Mizzou? Um, okay. Ooh, I missed the first part of your Yeah, you <laughs> broke up for me too. Um, just in, in many ways, uh, you know, you are essentially like this new type of young media entrepreneur. Um, who, uh, oh, I like how that sounds. Starting, um, yeah. starting up, uh, you know, a, a new way, uh, a, a new type of, of media product. Um, was that ever anything that was talked about uh, in classes as an undergrad at Mizzou? Um, and then, kind of the second part is: I mean, Are you doing what with what you're doing now? Did you ever envision when you were first an undergrad that this that this might be what you're doing in four in four and six in in eight years? Oh, wow. Very, very small questions. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question, though. It is a great question. Um, I would say to the first part of your question, um, Kaylin took a publishing capstone, so that was super helpful, and she might be able to answer your question more fully. The classes that I took uh, honestly never specifically addressed media, entrepreneurship, et cetera, what that means, mm-hmm. um, how you can do it, how you can even approach it, how you can go about it. So. Our energy and our vigor from the start, honestly, uh, and our passion and honestly our anger and frustration 
some of the education that we had uh, <laughs> uh, the foot in our door, essentially. Right. Um, I, I mean, to be completely honest, no, I didn't do media entrepreneur classes or even a class that is that. But Kate, you took a publishing class. Yeah. Was the media entrepreneurship angle part of that? Yes. Um, my capstone was in uh, publishing and the whole concept of the class was to create a magazine. So the irony of it is that me and my three people that I was in my capstone with created a, a millennial men's magazine yeah. <laughs> around the idea of like having a well-fed lifestyle. It was essentially like Bon Appetit for the GQ reader, okay. which I actually still think that's a pretty good idea, but not the time nor place. Right. Um, um, so it was, we were doing that while simultaneously putting together our, our ideas for the Riveter. So some of those practical things um, that you need to think about mm -hmm. when starting a publication, um, I was learning in real time. It all just worked out really well <laughs> in that capacity. Um, <laughs> because, you know, looking back to answer for me, the second part of your question, if I knew that, we were going to do what we did with the Riveter, I probably would have gone to business school mm -hmm. or, you know, majored in business as an undergrad, not to say at all that I regret getting a journalism education, but, um, you know, that was probably, that's still one of our biggest learning curves is mm -hmm. kind of those practical, um, or like the business practicum of being publishers. Um, but yeah, shout out to my senior year capstone and, <laughs> The team, the team that knew I was not only doing our senior capstone, but then taking those notes, meeting Yana at the bar and being like, okay, now we need to do this for the Riveter. Right, right. <laughs> like, so, oh, how interesting. What's that? Oh, how interesting. Right. Let's do that. Uh, yeah. So, Pretty so, funny. So your fourth issue uh, is coming out, you said, later this month. Um, what's in it that, that you're super stoked about? Um, everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I feel like we both, we're both like so excited. I feel like we both are of the thought it might be our best yet. Mm -hmm. Might, might be. We'll let yeah. everyone decide. I mean, yeah. I think what's exciting like about the process in general is that, Kay, we've kind of said that about every issue that's come after. <laughs> yeah. We totally have. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, I take that as a positive. I think that means that we're really honing in on what we know we work best at doing um, and how to divide and conquer, how to network, how to get yeah. writers writing really interesting things, how to brand it, how to market it, et cetera. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's a work in progress. But um, we've got a great cover story written by our very own Kaylin Ralph. Um, oh, yeah. Is Winstead, um, <laughs> who is, you know, awesome. Uh, he's a co-creator of The Daily Show. Um, mm -hmm. Not many So um, we wanted to make that known, but also talk a lot about her reproductive justice work. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm pretty pumped about that. Uh, Kay, what are you pumped about? I am super pumped about um, one of the 
Um, the Riveter doesn't have paid advertising, but we do partner with brands um, from time to time for our lifestyle section. And those partnerships are very deliberate and very, um, we're very care. They're, they're very deliberate and thoughtful. Um, mm-hmm. we love to partner with other female run businesses or businesses whose mission align with the riveters, um, and just promoting women's voices, which, um, can come in many different iterations. Um, so I'm super excited about a partnership we did with a sexual health products company called sustain, mm-hmm. um, which is essentially a line of sexual health products. And we all know what those are, condoms, mm-hmm. lube, et cetera, et cetera, who, um, Pro, uh, percentage of prote- proceeds go towards women's empowerment organizations and just all of their branding and marketing is really feminist and uh, refreshing. Um, so it's cool to be able to work with, it's, it's always cool to be able to work with brands and foster partnerships like that, but keeping it specific to issue four, that's something I'm really excited about. Yeah. I'm also excited. We always try to give love to other magazines who are doing great work. So we have a shorter piece in our front of book section about a magazine that um, will premiere itself in print in April called Hannah Magazine. Mm -hmm. Oh, Uh, yeah. It was started um, also through a crowdfunding initiative, which is very exciting. Um, And the editor-in-chief of that magazine, uh, her whole issue is that the representation of black women in media is one-dimensional and... Um, it doesn't really show the full breadth of um, their interests, their hobbies, um, their professional lives, etc. So we give a shout out to them, uh, of course, in the form of an article. But I'm excited about the coverage that we give to other magazines that are doing really cool, cool work. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds sounds great, and uh, the the issue four of uh, the Riveter magazine will be out later this month. Uh, mm-hmm. Yana and Kaylin, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's been so great talking with you both. It's been so fun. It, it was fun, right? I think yeah. it was fun. And good luck, too, in everything thank you're doing. Thank you. I've been talking to Kaylin Ralph and Yana Demkevich, the founders of The Riveter Magazine and collaborators on Newswomen, 25 years of front-page journalism. As usual, we've linked to the magazine and the book on our website, which you can find at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Just a reminder, the podcast is once again available on iTunes, but you're going to need to resubscribe. Go to the iTunes store and search Gangry Podcast. Follow the option that is labeled Gangry Podcast, not Gangry The Podcast, and you'll start getting all the new episodes as we put them out. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on Twitter at Gangry Podcast. That's at G-A-N-G-R-E-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. We're also on Facebook, so check us out there too. Gangry the Podcast is produced in the studios of 88.9 WRDL at Ashland University and is made possible by the Department of Journalism and Digital Media. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by yours truly, I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for listening.